Did Griff play the piano, and, and if so, what song? Uh, <laughs> he can't play the piano, and uh, nah, he didn't play the piano. I think, I think he only had like a little keyboard with him uh, that he brought to the bubble to try to learn how to play, maybe. But outside of that, no, he didn't play no piano for me. Come on, nah, guys, I'm not letting a grown man come to my hotel room. Play a play a piano for me. <laughs> God damn it. I so wanted to believe that story. In fact, I did. I did a whole episode with Kevin Figures last week, only to have it destroyed on Media Day, along with any remaining shred of respect I have for Kyrie Irving. That and more on this week's Broken Jumper. When you don't draw iron, Simmons, an open three, air ball. They just don't have any touch. This is Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by the voice of AM570 LA Sports, Bob Schmidt. Me, Bob Schmidt. What a narcissistic buffoon he is. Like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And now, is this basketball? Broken Jumper. Welcome in. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports and Fox Sports Radio. This is Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by me. And today, the subjects, of course, Zion Williamson did ruin what I thought was a fantastic NBA story, the kind of story that I want to believe. Then Griff comes out, ruins the story, says he doesn't even know how to play piano. And Zion chides reporters by saying, why would I let a grown man come in my room? Why? What's wrong with that, Zion? What are you trying to say? Until I have verifiable proof with research I've done on my own that Griffin didn't, in fact, play the piano for you, I'm not going to believe what you say at face value because that'd be irresponsible. And it's my personal choice to believe one grown man played the piano for another grown man. Speaking of personal choices, yes, that's where I was headed with this. The other big story from Media Day, well, there was two, really. Ben Simmons in Philadelphia, and that's the one I'll spend the majority of the time on this podcast, probably talking about, but the other one, all centered around vaccinations. Mainly two guys were the story, Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins. Now, there were other people who commented. Jonathan Isaac had a a lengthy explanation, but in Brooklyn and in Golden State specifically, the reason Kyrie and Wiggins dominated the headlines amongst all the guys who chose not to get vaccinated is because in those cities, There are laws that will prevent them from being able to play as unvaccinated players in home games. That's a government thing. That's not an NBA thing. So there's not going to be a lot of give on that. While Wiggins seemed to get a lot more defensive and dig in, and Kyrie, too, got defensive and said, I believe it's a personal issue and respect my rights. And actually, here's what Kyrie had to say. In the spirit of, of not putting limitations on the future, do you expect to play in home games in New York considering the, the rules in the state? Again, I would like to keep all that private. Please just, just respect my privacy. Like uh, all the questions kind of leading into what's happening, you know, just please, uh, everything will be released at a, at a due date. And uh, once we get this cleared up, but as of right now, just please respect my privacy regarding anything around home games, what's happening, vaccination. Please, do you have another question, Malik? I'd love to answer. He's set to miss 40-something home games, and that's just during the regular season. There's no indication that this mandate won't exist next year by the time the playoffs roll around. And if that were to happen, he would also be in line 
to miss all those home playoff games. That's why people care about this story. I mean, they, there are people who care about the story because it can become political and they can turn it into a vaccination debate. But at least for the diehard NBA fans, the reason the Kyrie Irving story is relevant is because they're trying to win a title. And while it may not matter that much in the regular season, certainly getting some continuity and figuring out how you're going to distribute the ball between three superstars when they're all healthy. They didn't even get a big sample of that last season. Seemingly, always one of those guys was missing time. A large part of the reason that they didn't have a chance to compete in the finals was because Kevin Durant was basically a one-man show at that point with a, well, shell of himself Harden and no Kyrie, which is kind of a recurring theme in the playoffs. Kyrie has missed a lot of playoff games over the course of his career. But anyway, this wasn't, this wasn't meant to turn into a, a rant about Kyrie's unreliability on the court. But this is becoming another example of that. His decision, his personal decision as it relates to this vaccine, while he's 100% entitled to do what he wants to do with his body, in this case, there are consequences which are going to impact the on-court product and the title aspirations of the Brooklyn Nets. Now watch, he's just going to silently get the vaccine and then throw it back in the media's face because they just created all these storylines and really it was just a matter of him doing it in his own due time and he needed to get his research. That would not surprise me at all. I feel like Kyrie, more than anything, just loves to play the contrarian. And if he was unwilling to vocalize his views on this, then that may be in large part because he doesn't have any well-thought-out views. And now that he's getting dragged, maybe he'll decide it's not worth it and he'll just reverse course, and he'll get the vaccine. Because, as a powerful player in the NBA, a lot of these guys think, well, you know, we can force our desires, we can manifest them, because we can just put pressure on the league to cave on things, knowing that some of the highest-profile players are unhappy. But this isn't an NBA issue. San Francisco rejected it. New York rejected it. It's, they're not going to make concessions because they happen to be famous and because they happen to be rich at least publicly, it'd be a terrible idea for them to say, well, these rules aren't going to apply to you because you're incredible at basketball. And on a larger level, this guy is a vice president of the NBA's Players Association. You saw C.J. McCollum tweet on this subject saying, it's important to remember that 90% of the NBA is vaccinated, which is far above the percentage of the population that is. And while that is notable, the problem is the other percentages. Kyrie takes up 35% of the Brooklyn Nets salary cap, and he's going to play in 50% of the games, and not a single one in front of his home fans. 0%. Which, again, in the regular season may be irrelevant. But if this is still in place by the playoffs, good luck. Kyrie has missed a ton of playoff basketball throughout his career already. Even when he was healthy in Boston, he no-showed in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, his own choices may cause him to miss or playoff basketball games when he's perfectly healthy. Kyrie just makes it very difficult to like him. Should I be able to tell you what to put in your body? No. But should I be able to tell you I wish we didn't spend $40 million for an empty roster spot? Yeah. Reasonable. You don't get to pick and choose how you're covered for the stances that you take. If you get the praise for the societal ones, for the charitable ones, you should at least expect to be asked to clarify your position, which is all Malika Andrews was asking. Now, if Kyrie handled the situation poorly, Andrew Wiggins just straight up handled it terribly. What's the reason for not just explaining what you believe? Because it's none of your business. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> you know, I don't ask you guys about your beliefs. I don't ask you guys what you think is right or wrong. 
you know, we're different people. Who are you guys where I have to explain what I believe or, you know, what's right, what's wrong? In my mind, we're two totally different people. You know, what you think is not what I think. What I think is not what you think. Profound thoughts from Andrew Wiggins. What you think is not what I think, or what I think is not what you think. We understand that, Wiggins, but nobody knows what you think because you won't verbalize it. Not a health issue. You're going to miss 40 games. That makes it a basketball issue. If your personal beliefs impact everybody around you at your workplace, you're probably going to have to explain them. Just because Red State Cates owns a gun, has a right to own a gun? Certainly. Buy all the guns you want, Tim Cates. But if you try to walk into a basketball arena with the gun, somebody's probably going to stop you and ask you to explain yourself. And that is as good a place as any to shift to another guy who won't explain himself. Ben Simmons. His tactic for getting out of Philadelphia, media day rolled around, and Ben Simmons did not show up. Now that's a powerful message in terms of how far you're willing to go. But what it then does is it puts the narrative in the hands of the 76ers at media day because all of them got a chance to comment on it. Daryl Morey, Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers. What specifically has made Ben unhappy that he wants out? You know, it's, it's a tough answer. Um, it's tough to play here. But Ben didn't say that. But, you know, you got to assume that's probably part of it. Um, and I can't say he said that. Uh, that's just an assumption. So, you know, that's it. And losing, guys, listen, I've been in a lot of losing uh, rooms and I've been in some winning rooms. Most of us, usually when you coach, you're on the, on the bad end of it. You're rarely always on the good end. And it's amazing the impact it has. I've, I've been around it. Um, this has happened more than you know. It just has not happened to this extent, uh, especially the day after a loss or the week after a loss. Unfortunately, this has not changed so far. So Doc just is up there speculating on what Ben is upset about because Ben won't verbalize it. And again, similar to Kyrie, I think the main reason is because it doesn't stand to benefit him. By saying nothing, he can always stand on the defense that, well, I never said that. But the moment he verbalizes what is largely a very difficult to defend position about wanting to be traded from somewhere because you failed them, that he would find it to be mostly indefensible. And he definitely would not win that battle in the Philadelphia media. Right now, there's still an undercurrent of people who side with Ben in the sense that the things that have been said in any type of negative way about Simmons through Doc or through Embiid, they point to those as, well, you guys destroyed his trade value. You trashed him, even if they're completely valid. My problem with this is well-documented. Between this podcast and the Fear the Fro podcast, which is my Cavalier-centric podcast, this type of approach by any star is terrible for the league. And most times, it's going to benefit the Lakers or the Nets, some of those big market teams, which I know a lot of you guys root for. But trading for a guy like Ben Simmons in the past, say 10 years ago, would have been great. Not just because the game wasn't as three-point-centric as it is now, but I mean more contractually. Because it used to be an incredible asset to get a guy on contract, essentially, for four more seasons. Ben has four more years. We're at a point where the contract is basically meaningless. Simmons turned what was an asset into, not a liability, but certainly an irrelevant consideration. If a guy wants out, and if he's willing to go to these lengths to do it, he diminishes any value that the contract had. So if Ben Simmons wants to point to anyone, they only need to look as far as Simmons. Now, the on-court play, a lot of these tiny markets would overlook because their talent largely sucks anyway. There's situations Ben Simmons could be traded into 
where he, from day one, is the best player on the team. Cleveland, for example. But they're also rolling the dice that Ben Simmons demanded a trade because he failed on a very good roster. How is Ben Simmons going to take a situation where he's the best player on a failing roster? If he goes to Cleveland, does he think he won't get criticism? Because he will. It may not be as loud as it is in Philadelphia. The volume will also be turned up by expectations. But who's adding Ben Simmons if they don't have expectations? Anyone bringing him on is hoping to be competitive and is hoping to soon be a contender, even if they aren't immediately. So at some point, whether it be now or in the future, Ben Simmons is going to have to confront the criticisms that will come if his game does not evolve because he can't continue to have playoffs where he defers and passes up looks as the alpha. He's not even the alpha right now. Embiid is. He's taking this criticism as the second best player on their team. But if he does this on a team like the Timberwolves or the Cavaliers, he's still going to get ripped. He's just going to get ripped less because he's in cities where less people care about basketball. But is that really what he wants? Is that his objective to just make his money and exist behind the scenes? Because if so, I'd have to ask those teams who are thinking about trading for him, is it really worth it? Is it really worth giving this much power to a guy who's shown he'll abuse it? His commitment to the contract only goes so far as in how happy he is. He's not just going to have to deal with his own failings in Cleveland or Minnesota. He's going to have to deal with their failings, where the GM is you know, having sex with one of the other front office people or where your team ends up at the top of the lottery every season since LeBron left. They're not just taking the chance that they can't keep Ben happy because of his role, but they're taking the chance that the results of what happened on the court won't make Ben unhappy. And truthfully, that's a whole other discussion. If winning or losing doesn't impact Ben unless he personally is criticized, what the hell do you want that guy for? You want somebody who's invested in trying to win. And if he took criticism for a team that made it to the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, do we think he's not going to take criticism if he fails to lead a team like Cleveland or Minnesota to the playoffs? Embiid reinforced that the team is better with Simmons and that they want him back. Now, he, he recognized that he's probably facing a reality where Ben Simmons isn't around. But some of the things he said in the subsequent days at practice yesterday, one of the comments Joel Embiid made was about how much the team has already done to cater to Ben Simmons. And it's absolutely true. I've heard both arguments. The first is that Ben Simmons is complaining about his fit in Philadelphia. And look at what they put around him. Al Horford, Danny Green, Seth Curry, Joel Embiid, all guys who space the floor for a guy who seemingly can't do it on his own. All guys who shoot 38% from three or better, as Joel Embiid pointed out. He was the worst one in that starting lineup, and he shot nearly 38% from three-point land. And Seth Curry shot 45% from three-point land. So very high-end three-point shooters, which seemingly would be the best possible fit. But I've also heard the opposite argument made in this sense. While Joel Embiid does spend a lot of time at the three-point line, when he is on the block, he almost always, nearly 100% of the time, draws multiple defenders, which then makes it more difficult for Ben Simmons to find holes around the rim in the defense to you know, score his points. Now, logically, I don't know that I 100% agree with that in the sense that, okay, if Joel Embiid's drawn two defenders, there's only so many other guys you can send at Ben Simmons. 
Obviously, Simmons has his limitations spacing the floor, but good luck if you get traded to a team like Cleveland. If you end up in Minnesota, you'll be okay. Carl Anthony Towns, Jane McDaniels, pretty solid. Russell, solid. Beasley, solid. Of course, some of those pieces seemingly would be coming back to Philadelphia in that deal. But if you go to Cleveland, good God, you're in trouble. Jared Allen can't shoot from deep. Mobley, maybe he can someday. He's not there yet. Okoro got awful from three-point land right now. And you got Garland and Sexton who are reasonably good. But certainly, floor spacing, they were one of the worst, if not the worst team in the league in that capacity. So, and those are the teams that are being rumored with Simmons at this point. San Antonio, another one that's being talked about a lot. And of course, possibly Sacramento. But those are discussions for later. I don't even want to get into the trade destinations so much as what this is going to mean again. Because there is a thread tying the Simmons and Kyrie situation together and Wiggins. It's devaluing the regular season. And that's a story that keeps coming up in different variations from different players. But if people want to wonder why the NBA struggles to pull ratings during the regular season, this is why you've got multiple guys sending the message that the regular season doesn't matter. And I'm not saying these guys don't want to win titles. I mean, this may all be born out of their desire to win. Kyrie going to Brooklyn to pair up with KD and Simmons taking this so hard. Maybe that's all coming from their desire to win. But by sending this message that they're willing to be fined and sit out regular season games because of their vaccine stance, or whether in order to get a trade off a team, they're willing to skip an entire season, it certainly doesn't reinforce the idea that the regular season matters that much, which is not a message the NBA should be fans of. In a perfect situation, Simmons would come back. He would still try to raise his trade value on the court, but that ship seems to have sailed. And who knows, ultimately, when Davis and Harden forced their ways out, they still got as big of a return as you could expect. Simmons, not the player that those guys are, but maybe some team will roll the dice and they'll just give a bunch of young talent and picks to make it happen. But I don't think that's how this is going to end. I think Philadelphia will reach a point where they realize no return out of Simmons is worse than even a fraction of the talent coming back in a trade. And they'll pull the trigger because you can't blow Joel Embiid's title window. We don't know how long he's going to stay healthy for. Obviously, he just extended. He'll be there for a while, but he's playing top-level basketball at this point. You can't waste this window. So that's enough about Simmons or Kyrie. I thought a fun thing to do might be to take a look back at the 2017 draft class, and this was inspired by Jonathan Isaac mainly. Him taking up so much of the headlines on Monday at Media Day made me think that, well, now we're at a point where we can kind of look back at 2017 and we have a complete picture of how all those guys panned out because they're now all on their second contracts or out of the league. 2017, of course, was the year that the Sixers traded up to acquire the first pick in order to draft Markel Fultz, which he's no Anthony Bennett, but he's certainly a gigantic bust. He got shipped to Orlando before his rookie contract was even over, and he was decent for them. He got extended. He got a $50 million deal for four seasons, but then he got hurt last year, missed the whole season, and now Orlando is sitting on four guard prospects who all have potential and who all could command minutes. Jalen Suggs, RJ Hampton, Cole Anthony, all guys who, depending on how the magic feel, may be prioritized developmentally. If we look back, one of the storylines from the 2017 draft was how well teams did later in the draft. As far as the top 10 paid guys from that 2017 draft, six of those guys 
were taken picks 13 and after. Tatum and Donovan Mitchell, the highest paid rookies from 2017. Tatum drafted third, and Donovan Mitchell drafted 13. Both got $195 million deals. But rounding out that top five, Bam Adebayo, De'Aaron Fox, and then John Collins. Now, Adebayo and Fox, max extensions. John Collins, five years for $125 million. And that's a guy who was drafted 19th. Number six, Jared Allen, drafted 22nd. And then you get to Lonzo Ball. The second overall pick only ended up being the seventh highest paid guy coming into his second contract. And Lonzo didn't fail. He's a very good player. But a lot of those later picks hit. And it's got a sting knowing that the top two highest paid guys in the 2017 draft were acquired with picks that were traded for. The Celtics got the Tatum pick and what became Romeo Langford to allow the Sixers to move up and pick Fultz. And this one's really going to sting. Donovan Mitchell is a Utah Jazz player because the Nuggets traded back to take Tyler Lydon and get Trey Lyles. Then you got Bam, John Collins, of course. After a good postseason showing, he got big money. And Jared Allen on his second squad because the Nets dumped him, mainly because they did not want to pay him, and the Cavs paid him $100 million. So now, with a full picture of what all the contracts look like, it's easier to assess who got a deal and who overpaid. And as far as the best value contract in that 27, I'm taking out the guys who are max players, by the way, because those numbers were just dictated by the collective bargaining agreement. They possibly could have gotten more. I'm only going to consider contracts that fell short of a maximum extension. As far as the guys who extended, the contract I love the most is OG Ananobi, the Toronto Raptors. Last season, signed an extension four years for $72 million. Now, guys who got paid more than him, Jonathan Isaac, Derek White, Lonzo Ball, Jared Allen, I think you could arguably make the case that you would prefer OG Ananobi to any one of those guys. A guy who's a complete two-way player. I mean, he can hit threes. He can positionally guard anywhere from two to five. And his offensive game made a massive leap forward. He jumped his scoring to almost six points a game. And his three-point percentage is up to 40% from the floor. He's gotten better every single season. And he's taking on a bigger role and more usage. His assists are at an all-time high. And he nearly led the league in steals until he had a couple of injuries, which slowed him down. But certainly, he's going to be in the running to lead the league in steals nearly every season if he keeps up on the pace that he's on. So he's my favorite contract from the 2017 rookie class as far as guys who got extended. This might not be a popular take, but my least favorite contract plays right here in Los Angeles. That would be Luke Kennard. He signed a four-year, $64 million extension with the Clippers, who kind of had to extend him because they did trade to get him. They gave up Shamit and they gave up some second-round picks to get Kennard. So something was going to be done to try to keep him under contract. But it's hard to argue, at least in year one, that that was a good decision when he found himself anchored to the bench in several critical playoff moments. Now, as the playoffs progressed, he did have some good showings, and this year, Without Kawhi in the lineup, certainly he has a chance to salvage that contract value. He could play a much bigger role in the offense, and there'll be more touches for him. But as it stands now, to pay four years and $64 million for a guy who wasn't even in the playoff rotation, I'm not saying you can't afford to pay that for a bench player, but he should be a very good bench player if that's the case. I think the Cavs are making that gamble 
they paid Lowry Markkinen four years for $67 million. But that's a guy who seemingly will be part of a three-big-man rotation there and command over 25 minutes a night. Luke Kennard, in year one with the Clippers, was used erratically at best. There were times that he didn't even see the floor. So as it stands now, OG's my favorite extension. Luke Kennard is my least favorite extension. But Fultz may be in consideration for that if he doesn't come back healthy and hold off the competition that he has in Orlando. Because those are modest amounts of money. I mean, those aren't game-changing money. But it's hard to nitpick full rookie max extensions when you're arguing about value. Because both Bam and De'Aaron are on the same exact deal. Both Tatum and Mitchell are on the same exact deal. Because those are just the maximum allowable amounts that the CBA provides for. But it's a lot easier to nitpick these other deals. I think Jared Allen, too. I mean, knock on wood, hope this isn't the case. But $20 million for five seasons for a center, there's definitely some risk there. Paying a center that much money who's not an elite two-way center is questionable if you're a team in the position that the Cavs are. But you can also make the same argument I just made with Luke Kennard, which is they traded up a first-round pick to get Jared Allen. They couldn't not extend him. I don't know if I would have paid him that much in an extension. I always wish teams kind of put the screws to these guys a little more and force them to go out and get offer sheets because I think offer sheets are a much more accurate reflection of what true market value is. A lot of times, these extensions prematurely, you end up bidding against yourself. The deals that I do like a lot, OG Ananobi, I actually think the Kyle Kuzma deal is solid because it, it wasn't four years. It was only three years at $40 million. And if he provides some sort of offensive output in excess of what he did in L.A. while he's on the Wizards, he could be set up for a decent payday. He's a serviceable rotation player. So that's it. That's Broken Jumper for this week. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports. Follow me on social media at Broken Jumper or at Broken Jumper Pod. Of course, the website will link you to both of those, brokenjumper.com. And please rate, subscribe, listen, download the podcast wherever you get yours. Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast from me, Bob Schmidt. Thank you for listening. That's it. No more Broken Jumper. No. No. Download past episodes you missed and like and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to the iHeartRadio app. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Broken Jumper. And tune in weekly for more NBA coverage.